So we're in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and we got down about verse 22, 23. Let's back up just for a minute and review to where we are. So we finished the prologue, that last verse of the prologue, the introduction to the Gospel, before John begins telling the story of Jesus and His ministry. Verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So no man has personal knowledge of God, and I say this of himself. He's not hung out with God as we would say in our language today, and I don't mean to be irreverent by saying that, but man's not uh, attained to knowledge of God on his own. And, you know, you, you argue and say, well, the Old Testament, well, man never attained any of the knowledge of the Old Testament on his own. God revealed that to him. It wasn't that Moses figured out the law by seeking and by being a monk up on a mountain somewhere and not talking to anybody for 30 years. Things like that is what man thinks is devotion. Yeah. And, and real good is, you know, Paul says in Corinthians, if I was to give my body to be burned, if I sold all of my goods and gave them to the poor, I mean, you talk about great works. In the eyes of man, you, you can't get much better than giving your body to be burned and selling everything and giving it to folks. But even there, without charity, even that's of no value. No value. So it wasn't Moses that attained to this knowledge by study and devotion and dedication, but God revealed it to Moses. And so to us today, we didn't come and figure God out one day, but He was declared unto us by the Holy Ghost of God through the Word. And so here, Jesus Christ, He is the revelation of God unto man. So that man can't look on God. It's impossible that man come into God's presence but in Jesus Christ, we can look to Jesus and we can see God through Him. And you know, because of our sin, God can't look on us either. He can't look. It, 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 we would be destroyed in a moment if we entered God's presence because of our sinfulness. Uh, maybe that's hard to understand, but even the angels, the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6 as they fly around the throne. Those seraphim were perfectly holy, not one spot of sin in it. And God provided them with wings to cover their faces, and their hands, and their feet. And they said, holy, holy, holy. Even the holy, sinless angels could not look on the face of this holy God. And yet, in Christ Jesus... So we see God in Jesus Christ and the church, really if, if you look through especially Paul's letters, more than 200 times in Paul's 13 letters he refers to believers as being in Christ Jesus. He doesn't refer to us as Christians. That's only two places in the New Testament. Maybe that's what we would say today. What are you? I'm a Christian well, Paul, I believe Paul would have said, we are in Christ Jesus. 
And God can look on us, not as we are, but He looks on us in Christ Jesus. So that Jesus is the reconciliation. We come together with God in Jesus. We can see that that we can't see, and God can look upon that which He can't look upon, and it's reconciled in the man, Jesus Christ. And so uh, the son which is in the bosom hath declared him. And in verse 19, and I'm not going to read those verses again, but John begins telling the story, and he begins with the Baptist. We've got the apostle John who wrote the book. We've got John the Baptist. That can be confusing, I realize that. But the apostle is going to begin the story with John the Baptist. And uh, we don't read how that he came to be, how that, um, how that his ministry began, but we find John and he's out baptizing and the priests and the Levites and the religious elite are sending people to question and find out who is this man. Remembering that in Luke, all men mused in their hearts whether this man was the Christ. And we can't stress that enough. This is the talk of the town. It's not just amongst the, the dregs of society that's wondering what John's doing, but the priests and the Levites and, and the Sanhedrin court and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are the, the upper level people in Israel that are sending uh, people to John to say, Who are you and what exactly are you doing out here? So this has drawn the attention of everyone in the area. And certainly since that miraculous birth and all the goings on in the temple when Zacharias was in there and the angel spoke to him and closed his mouth and Elizabeth who was old and was barren became pregnant and brings forth this son and all of the testimony that was given by the Holy Ghost when John was born. So there's all this going on and it's drawing all this attention and now this, if you'll have it, this miracle baby, John the Baptist, he's out in the wilderness and he's preaching repentance and he's baptizing people. And so they send these men out. Who are you? Are you Elijah? We read the prophecies that Elijah was going to come in the day of the Lord. Art thou that prophet? That's referring to Deuteronomy where Moses said there was going to come a prophet like unto him. So he says, no, I'm none of those. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And remember, Jesus says later that John the Baptist was Elijah that was to come. Not the man Elijah rose from the dead. And I believe that's what they were asking John. Are you Elijah? Has Elijah resurrected and are you him back from the dead. He was not Elijah, but he came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. He was the literal fulfillment to that prophecy in the Old Testament. And what you're going to find is that in the account of Jesus, all of the prophecies are going to be fulfilled through this. And so he said, verse 23... I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet 
Isaiah. So that's in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. You read about that. And so John, and notice how this is all going to start. This is going to start with one man preaching repentance in the wilderness. Not with a pile of voices. Not with, you know, in Moses' day, the, the 70 began to prophesy and were moved upon by God. But here it's just one man in the wilderness. This is going to be a work of God that's going to build a church through what appears to be the weakest means that there is. But they're looking to John. And so uh, when he says that, they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered and said unto them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. So I don't believe the whole group that came were of the Pharisees, but I believe here's what the Pharisees asked. Well, if, if you're not Elijah, and if you're not that prophet, and if you're not Christ, then what exactly are you doing out here? So they've come to this conclusion. John's not got any eschatological value. He's just a man in the wilderness that's preaching. Well, then why are you doing this? If you were not prophesied of, but he was. But see, they were blind to that. They said, what are you doing out here? And why are you baptizing? And John answered, I baptize with water. So you know what this water baptism was? It was a, a type and a shadow and a picture. And I said that word baptize from the Greek word baptismo. And when you read that, it means immersion. So when John says, I baptize with water, he's baptizing, he's immersing them. They are being fully whelmed in water. And that the picture, repentance and cleansing and a washing away of sin. Well, if you were baptized with John then, that's, that's all that really matters. Now, ain't that the way people think? I believe you can look in Acts and you'll see people that thought that. We, they were, had already been baptized. John had baptized them and that was sufficient for what they needed. But listen to what John preaches. I baptize with water. I'm immersing you in water. But there standeth one among you whom you know not. So he's standing maybe not in the middle of the group that's present right now. But what he's saying is he's here now. He's present on the earth. His birth has already occurred and he's alive here now and you don't know who that he is. Remember in the prologue that John said, he was in the world, and the world knew Him not. The eternal Word of God was made flesh, dwelt among men, 
and men did not know who he was. And you read that and think, how could man live with the Lord Jesus Christ and not recognize who that he was? It, but it's the same today, isn't it? The Lord Jesus has come. He's gave His life. He is resurrected. We're going to celebrate that. And, and by the Spirit, the Gospel is preached. We have uh, the New Testament that reveals the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, whether He's present in a body or whether it's the Gospel, He's still not believed and man still does not know who that He is. How is it that man doesn't know him? This is a, a, a more weighty word than, than just to understand. But we're talking about an, an intimate knowing of him. To know him. Listen. So John is proclaiming this one that's among them that they know not he it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. So John says he's after me. We're talking about age here. And age in, to the Jewish people and, and maybe even beyond the Jews to the culture of that day. Age meant a whole lot. The elder was the more important. The elder was the one that was treated as the most wise. If you remember in Job, Elihu was his name, I believe. Maybe that's not right. But he was the youngest of the group that was there and he had to wait till the very end to speak. And he said, I'm younger than you, but God's given me wisdom. So there was a great value put on age and the elder and for John to be elder than the Lord Jesus, and he was by six months or so older than the Lord Jesus, how can he be greater than you if you're his elder? So I realize maybe that's hard for us to grasp hold of today in the culture we're in. I believe we understand that age doesn't mean wisdom. Certainly that's not the case often in our world today. But... This is what he's saying. He's after me, but he's before me. In age, I'm older than him, but in rank, he's before me. So John had an understanding of who this man, the Lord Jesus, was. Remember, Jesus was born... And whether it's correct or not, we'll just use it. Jesus was born on December the 25th, 0 A.D. There was a day that the man Jesus, his life began on the earth. But that was the flesh. The Spirit, was He was God, remember? The eternal Word of God that created all things. So though his life began on that one day, yet he was eternal also. More than just a man, this was the Son of God. So I baptize with water. 
But there standeth one among you. He's preferred before me. In Acts 19.4, Then Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So John, remembering that John was in the prologue, he's introduced to us. He's that witness. He's giving testimony. He's providing evidence. He's the witness of God called to the stand to point man to the Lord Jesus. And you see that in all of the discussion that he has. He says, I'm nothing. That's his testimony. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. And his answers get shorter and shorter. And when they say, well, what are you doing here? He doesn't say, look, I'm, I'm the forerunner and God spoke to me and God told me to do this. But his answer is instead, there's one coming after me that's greater. So John's whole mission, he's pointing man to the Lord Jesus Christ. John did baptize with water, but John was always pointing to one that was greater than him. John in no way wanted man to look to him for anything. John's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that standeth one among you whom you know not, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. So the, the lowest servant, the lowest rank servant, so to be a servant or a slave, you're, you're on the bottom of society. I believe we can see that. But to be the lowest ranked servant in the house, you know what the lowest ranked servant did? When the master or a guest came in the house, they unlatched the shoe and they washed the feet. So John says, and this is how John compares himself to Jesus Christ, I'm not worthy to be the lowest servant unto him. That's how great that this man, the Lord Jesus, is. I'm unworthy to even stoop down, take off his shoes, and wash his feet. Remember this Jesus, he's as high as the heavens are above the earth above man. His rank, though he's a man, and though he's in a flesh, and though he dwells among man, he is still yet the Son of God. <clears throat> These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. So John gives us a location. And notice he's pinpointing it down. This is where this happened. And I, I know to us today, maybe that doesn't mean a whole lot. But when this was written, the people that read this in this day, they could go to Bethabara and find the spot where that this occurred and find witnesses of this. Remember what John's mission was in John chapter 20? I mean, he says we could have filled the world with the books, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God. So John's providing witness. John's providing location. John's going to provide time in the very next verse. And you can go down and search this stuff up if you'd like to. You can find somebody that saw this for themselves. Real events. The world would like for you to think about these as stories, as bedtime stories. Real events with real people that was provable. And had it been untrue, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they would have proven it untrue at the time. It would have never got any farther than the days of the disciples. But this was real. This occurred. And so verse 29, let's pick up in 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So now we've got John's bearing witness that God has revealed to him of one to come, and now God is going to confirm that to John. Now we've got a lot going on here, and I've... I've mused in my head how much of this is really worth covering and how much of it is not. So let's just, let's just dig in here. So John says, I knew him not. In verse 31, in verse 33, John says, and I knew him not. So John is saying that previous to this account, John did not know who that Jesus was. Now, in what way or what means that Jesus was unknown to John, I don't know. We know this. We know that when Elizabeth was pregnant, Mary came to see her. Mary told of all that was prophesied of the babe that she was going to bring forth. And the Spirit moved on John in the womb and John leapt in the womb. So we know Mary's going to praise God there. We know Elizabeth is going to praise God there. Zechariah, when God restores his voice, he's going to praise God there. And John is going to be Jesus' cousin as well. So you know, as John's growing, I I, I don't see how Elizabeth and Zacharias are not going to share with him some of this going on. You know, Mary, our cousin, she was pregnant about the same time and she came and she told us about this and and the Holy Ghost filled us. 
So whether he thought maybe Jesus was a prophet or he thought that Jesus was the Messiah, you've got also Jesus from his birth to 30 years of age. We really have no record of that time other than once when he's 12 in the temple. That's the only record that we have of Jesus from birth to age 30. So we know he was sinless. So what kind of life did that live? You just, you got to put all that kind of together in your head. That's some kind of attention drawing there. Well, this man, this man's different than everybody else. He acts different. He talks different. So you've got all of that together. Exactly what John didn't know and what John knew, we can't nail it down for sure. In Matthew, Jesus comes to be baptized and John says, I have need to be baptized of thee and now comest to me. So one way or the other, John had a high regard for the man, Jesus Christ, before this baptism. But in John, John is saying, uh, John the Baptist is saying, I didn't know who he was until I saw the Word of God fulfilled on him. And I realize we're all over the place. We'll try to walk down through this in just a minute. Let's just try to get an understanding of it. In 33, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining. So John says, I didn't know who this Messiah or who the Christ or who the Son of God was. I didn't know who He was, but God had told me, you're going to see the Spirit descend and abide upon this man. So God had given him promise. God had given him a word that the man you see the Spirit descend on, that is the Son of God. So I believe this. You can nail this down for a fact. John says, I didn't know him. This was not something that I mused in my heart and I figured out. I'm not telling you my opinion that I think Jesus is the Christ. I'm not telling you that I think he's a good fellow and I believe he could be. But John is saying, God has bore witness to me and I am, he steadfastly certain by revelation of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ. Not because I was his buddy, not because we got together and talked this out, not because we're cousins and family, we didn't come up with a plot here, but what happened is I baptized him and I saw the Spirit of God descend upon him and God said, remember what God said, this is my beloved Son. And so God bore witness to John that this was the Son of God. Now, with that witness, I suppose that I've always thought that everybody that was there heard and saw that. But if you look in Matthew, the Bible says that he saw and that he heard. If you look in Mark, you read he saw and that he heard. If you look in Luke, it doesn't say, it just says, 
and the Spirit, the heavens were opened, the Spirit came in a voice. There's no reference in any of the Scriptures that anybody else heard or saw that outside of John the Baptist. Maybe that's hard to swallow. Maybe you've never thought of that either. But there's no Scripture. And you see, you say, well, that came down and everybody saw that. Well, that sounds good. But you read the Scripture and the Bible does not say that. How easy it is to add to the Scripture. And before long, you've got a group of people that believe something that is not scriptural. So God revealed this to John, and John is the witness, remember? He is the witness to bear record and to give testimony. So John's revealed, he he knows, God's shown him, and now John is the witness that is prescribing and, and proclaiming this testimony unto all those round about him. Man says today, well, God don't just reveal Himself to a few. Well, God did here. God revealed Himself to John the Baptist. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, that could have been in the temple. It could have been at Jerusalem. That could have happened at Bethany. What if it happened at the Sermon on the Mount when all the multitude was there? But you know who Jesus is going to reveal Himself to? Not to the twelve either but to Peter, James, and John. They're the only three that's going to be there. Is that fair? Is it fair? Man says it ain't fair. It's, it's by the mercy of God that there was any revelation whatsoever. That's the truth. If it was not for mercy and compassion, that's... You know, when God so loved the world in John 3, you know why that love is so amazing? You know why John says, Behold the manner of love? Because there was no reason whatsoever for God to have any love for anybody. It's remarkable that God loved a people that were so wicked. And so, the revelation of God is just that. It's to who God reveals to. God did not reveal Jesus' birth to Jerusalem. He revealed it to the shepherds. We don't have any scriptural record of anybody else being revealed to. I know you say the wise men, that was probably a year or two after the fact that the wise men came. Nevertheless, Herod, the king in the region and the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they didn't know who he was still. So, let's look now. Let's walk down through this. John sees Jesus coming. So here is Jesus. He's walking by. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In Genesis 22, verse 7, the Lamb of God. We're kind of disconnected from that too. When you thought about a lamb in this day, in the day this was written, as the Jew thought about a lamb, I believe the very first thought 
was sacrifice. A sacrifice for sin. That's what a lamb was for. That's why they raised lambs. That's why they had sheep. Was for blood sacrifice as payment for sin. So as John says, here is the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb, the sacrifice, the one that's going to give His life. Not of the world, not of the flock, but of God. This is the Lamb that God chose to take away the sin of the world. In Genesis 22 verse 7, Isaac spake to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Father, there's something missing here. There's not a sacrifice. See, that's what he's saying. But it's a lamb. Y'all, we know Abraham's reply. Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. You know, it would have been convenient if they had went up to the mountain and a lamb would have been up there. But you know the story. There wasn't a lamb up there. There was a ram, a male sheep. So was that what Abraham was talking about? No, he's, he's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. If it had been a lamb up there, man would have said, well... His word was fulfilled. He was a prophet. And he saw that the lamb was already up on the mountain. But there was going to be a ram to take Isaac's place, but a lamb to take the place of mankind and all of the sin. The Lord Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 12, you know about the Passover. The last plague is coming. The death of the firstborn. God's going to institute a Passover. And it's going to be a feast that takes place yearly. This is going to be the, the great redemption of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Everything from this day until Jesus' day, they're going to look back at this as the time that God wondrously delivered them from Egypt. <clears throat> and God says here, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. And I'm not going to read through all that. But you know, they're going to take a lamb for every house. They're going to bring it in. They're going to keep it. And then on the fourteenth day they're going to kill it. They're going to put its blood on the doorpost. They're going to eat the lamb. And that night, God's going to call them out of Egypt. God's going to destroy the firstborn in every house without blood. And by the end of that night, Pharaoh's going to let the people of God go. And the destroyer, the angel of death, however you want to say it, the judgment and wrath of God is not going to come upon the children of Israel because of the Lamb. So what's happened is, and maybe it's not very intuitive, but I believe you can see it pretty easily. The lamb has died that the firstborn in the house does not have to. The lamb died in the place of the firstborn. It's not that God's just going to let them slide without dying. That can't happen. So the lamb is going to die 
And God is going to accept that lamb in the place of the firstborn. There's a substitution. Ain't that something? God's allowing them to substitute a lamb for their firstborn that he might live. And as time rolls on, the Lord Jesus, he's going to be crucified and buried at the time that they're killing the Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He's the substitution. God can't let people just slide by and not require a penalty and a judgment for sin. God, I realize, the God is love and God accepts. That has penetrated minds and man, we can't shake that in a lot of ways. But know this, that God is angry with the wicked every day. And that God's wrath against sin is no less today than it was when God opened the earth and swallowed Korah and all of that crowd. God still hates sin. And God still will judge sin. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And face the eternal wrath and punishment for their own guilt. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, Egypt didn't have a lamb. They didn't. But the Lamb was given to the people of God. And Jesus Christ, the substitution, you know what He's going to do? He's going to die in the place of the church. Maybe that language is not like He's going to die in the place of the believer. It's the same thing. He's dying in their place that they will not have to die. God is accepting His death for theirs. It's not that I'm good in myself. And may God ever forbid us to think anything of ourselves. God forbid that to ever enter our mind. We're only right because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without a substitution to die for us, we're going to die. Well, I've done good this week. You've not done good enough this week. The substitution is required. And in Hebrews, I've always loved this scripture in Hebrews that God saw fit to put this in Hebrews 11. That Moses killed the Passover lest, lest the destroyer should come into his house. Why? Moses, he don't, Moses really don't need to worry with that. Moses is the leader. Moses is... I mean, God's chose him to lead the people. And yet Moses killed the Passover because God would have come into Moses' house without blood. So if God's, if God's going to bring judgment on Moses and his house without blood, then who is going to be skirted by in this? Is there any house that's going to be passed over without substitution. You see why the Lord Jesus is so important? You see what John's saying? 
This is the means for your sins to be taken away. Which taketh away. That word in itself, to lift, is what the word means. I've said this many times here, but if you've fallen under a heavy load, and I'm going to rescue you from that, really what I'm doing is I'm lifting it off of you. It's leaving you, but it's not disappearing in thin air. Sin does not disappear in thin air. But as I lift it, it's coming off of you, but I'm now bearing that load. That's what the Lord did. The Lord didn't wave His hand and sin magically disappeared. But that sin, He took it off of us and put it onto Him. And He carried the weight of that to the cross. And there He was nailed there for that. It didn't disappear. He did away with it by His death and the giving of His life on the cross. He was substituted for us. But we're alive 2,000 years later. That doesn't matter. They didn't even know we were going to be born. John the Baptist didn't know I was going to be born. I don't believe Peter and Paul. I, I think that they thought a lot like we do. It can't be long before the Lord comes back. I believe that's the way all through time man has looked. They, they didn't know that time would last 2,000 years from the day that they were preaching. They had no idea that any of us would be here. But the eternal Word of God, He did. And in the mind of God, He died for us in that day, 2,000 years before we were born. He died for us that we could have life. God was substituting Him for us. Remember, all if God says it, it can't be undone. It can't be prevented. Why, preacher, the devil will fight again. You're telling me the devil is going to overcome God. Do you believe in any way that the devil can overcome God Almighty? So in Numbers 28, <coughs> And thou shalt say unto them, this is the offering made by fire which ye shall offer unto the Lord. Two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, for a continual burnt offering. So you've got the prophecy, the, the type, and, and I'm not covering all of these in the Old Testament, just a few. You've got the, the Passover lamb that's yearly killed. And here you've got two lambs killed every day. One in the morning and one in the evening. They kill the one in the morning, they put it on the fire of the altar. They take it off in the evening, they kill the one in the evening, and they put it on the altar. And you know what there is? There's a continual burnt offering. A continual bloodshed day by day. And that, this, the two, that's minimum. There's going to be feasts, there's going to be Sabbaths, there's going to be new moons, and there's going to be even more killed. But a slow day down at the temple is two minimum every day. What is the message that God is trying to send in all this? It's that we're wicked. We're sinful. 
we're guilty and our life is on the line. Wouldn't you say that's true? From the Passover to the continual offering, if man's left without a sacrifice, man has no hope. Isaiah 53 verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. You know the lamb, <clears throat> the lamb is the dumbest farm animal that there is. They is bringing him to have his throat cut and him throat on the fire, and he walked just as happy to that as he would going to the pasture to the water. He had no idea what was going on. But the Lord Jesus knew. The Lord was rational. The Lord knew before He went what He was going to face. And He was praying that that cup would pass. But you know what He did? He acted just like a lamb. And He didn't fight back. And He didn't argue. And He didn't pull back. But He went willingly. Because it was the will of God. Because God had... It was God's will that He die for those that God loved. He went and He gave Himself that He would be our substitution. In 53.11, He shall see the travail of His soul and He shall be satisfied. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for He shall bear their iniquities. He carried those iniquities... He took them away and took them on to Himself. He took our pain and He took that on to Himself. He took our affliction. He took our disease. He took the very wrath of God and He didn't just drink uh, the top part of it, but He drunk even the dregs of the wrath of God and He endured the heat and anger of God that we could be set free and I said this a week or two ago maybe, it wasn't unjust that Jesus died. He was bearing our sin. God had put upon Him our sin, and not just God putting it on Him, but when God said, it's my will that you bear this, He put it on His back, and He willingly carried it. And to the cross He went, bearing the iniquities of the church. Hebrews 9, nine, which was a figure for the time then present, in the which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of of many. If you if you went through the scriptures that we have in the Old Testament and you done a little math and you added up how many sheep and how many ox and how many goats and how many birds every year every year was slain. And then you read this in Hebrews and that none of those offerings ever perfected anybody. All of that blood and all of that death and all of that, all of that burning 
was never enough to satisfy God for one individual. That speaks... That's right. Could, it could never, he says in Hebrews 9, it could never. So that ought to make you look to the Lord Jesus recognizing this, that His sacrifice, one time, not over and over and over again, not He comes back every year or every generation to die for another group of people, but one time He bore the sin of the world and He was offered and it's not a partial wash job. It doesn't have to be redone. I don't need to come back next year. But one time, my sin is taken away and I am, this is the Word of God, not my Word, perfected forever in Jesus Christ. Can't be undone. What a perfect sacrifice. He says all of that Old Testament stuff, that was just types and shadows till the time of Reformation. That was put there to get by till the real sacrifice would come. You see how all of the law and the prophets, their end point, their point of termination is Jesus. That's where it all leads. It all leads to Jesus. So do you see now, just a little piece, of what a statement John the Baptist is making here to these people in 30 AD that there is the Lamb of God. This is the fulfillment of everything all through history. What a statement that John's making right here. This is the Lamb of God. So they say, well, John, you don't know that. You don't know who He is. You just, you're thinking that. But next time we'll look, John's going to give evidence. John knew who He was. God had revealed it to him. Anything on your heart you'd like to say?